Well, in the movie The Truman Show, uh, Jim Carrey plays Truman Burbank. He's the subject of a TV show. Uh, the people he lives with are all actors. His neighbours, his workmates, even his wife. And they all follow the instructions from the director. But Truman doesn't know he's part of a show. He, he just thinks he's living his real life. And the movie is about what happens as Truman begins to suspect what's going on. His behaviour changes as he starts to see that someone else is controlling his life, as he begins to see the hand of the director. Because it makes a huge difference knowing that someone is in control of your life. The same thing's true for us. Is your life different because you know that God's in control? Are your choices, are your actions different because you know God's in control? It should be that way, and yet often it's not. You're late for an appointment. Do you relax in the knowledge that God's got it in control? Uh, or do you get more and more stressed? Your kids are going out to a party at night. Do you trust them to God's care? Or do you worry about whether they'll be okay? Uh, you're waiting for the specialist report on your medical condition. Are you confident that God is looking after you? Or do you lose sleep worrying? Our choices, our attitudes should be different because we know God's in control. That's what Ruth 2 is teaching us about. It's about God's control or his providence. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism 27 answers the question, what is God's providence? It gives a great answer. Let's have a look at it together. Uh, it, it writes, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. That's great, isn't it? And you can see how if you actually knew that and lived that truth, it would make a difference, wouldn't it, for how you lived and the choices you made. Uh, the way the story of Ruth describes it uh, is that pr providence is often subtle, though. It's difficult to notice God's hand. In the story of Ruth, we don't read, and then God did this, and then God made such and such do such and such. We don't read it that way. God is rarely mentioned. In this chapter, he's only mentioned in prayers. And so we need to look carefully for his work. But I guess the reality is that's just the way God often works in our lives, isn't it? It's not in the super obvious miraculous. It's in the subtle. It's in the everyday. And so we often need to look for God's hand with the eyes of faith. So let's do that as we look at the story of Ruth. Let's keep our eyes open for God's hand. Well, chapter 2 begins with a secret. Normally a good story keeps the secret to the end, but here we get let in on a secret that the characters don't know. We get let in on early. We get to see the way the director sees things. Look at verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. Now, Ruth hasn't met him yet, but we know this is the guy we need to watch out for. He's going to be important. We get to see something of the way God sees things. Uh, Ruth and Naomi just see their everyday circumstance, 
but we get to see it from the beginning. Uh, when Ruth and Naomi make decisions uh, about, without knowing what will happen, we already know. Yeah, I blacked it out, that's why. Uh, and here's what we discover. First one, uh, Boaz is a relative. Uh, Boaz is a relative. Uh, more than just family, though, we find out Boaz is a good catch. He's a man of standing. Now, that, that word is used in other places in the Bible for a mighty warrior uh, or sometimes a nobleman. He's called a man of standing. Uh, and now, Boaz's name itself means something like, in him is strength. Uh, and before the chapter's finished, we're going to find out not only is he a man of standing, he's rich, he loves God, he treats his employees well, Oh, and by the way, he just so happens to be single. He's a man of standing, all right, you don't find them like that very often. Well, that's verse 1. Keep your eye out for Boaz. Verse 2, uh, we head back to Naomi and Ruth. Remember how chapter 1 finished. Uh, they've got no money, there's no family, no food, uh, and there's no welfare system. But there is plenty of barley. Uh, it's time for the barley harvest. The only problem is none of it's theirs. Uh, in Israel, the closest thing uh, to a welfare system is found in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, in Deuteronomy 24, it describes that harvesters, uh, they're commanded to leave whatever they drop for the poor, uh, for the orphan or for the widow or the foreigner, uh, so that they can come along and they can glean, they can pick up whatever's been left behind. Uh, isn't it lucky that Ruth and Naomi have arrived at just the right time, just in time for the barley harvest. But then again, they'd also need to be lucky enough to find a field and a farmer where there are not too many other, um, not too many other gleaners who can share it with. Well, as luck would have it, uh, that's how things turn out. It's interesting, isn't it? We say lucky, and, and yet uh, we, we know that it's more than coincidence. And yet the story of Ruth seems to put this in inverted commas, this idea of coincidence. Have a look, uh, have a look there uh, at, at verse 3. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz. It's perhaps a bit more literally something like, it just so happened by chance. Uh, the King James Version puts it rather quaintly when it says, and her hat was to light on a part of the field. Oh, we don't use that too often, do we, anymore? It was her hat. Uh, it just so happened. Now, there's nowhere else in the Old Testament that puts things just like that. From Ruth and Naomi's point of view, it's like luck. It just so happened. It's a random event, and yet we know better because we already know from verse 1 uh, about Boaz. And so we can see God's hand at work. We can see that it's providence, not coincidence. Well, verse 4, the man himself arrives, Boaz the boss. He greets the workers, the Lord be with you, and they respond joyfully, the Lord bless you. What a great workplace. When was the last time your boss said something like that to you? I think, Matt, I'd like to think that your boss might say that to you every so often, right? Uh, but anyway, that's, uh, not many workplaces get that. But uh, Boaz's workplace is a great place to be. Uh, he's rich. He loves God. He's a good bloke who looks after his servants. 
But this is more than just simply saying good day. I think. It could be that. Uh, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Uh, but I think there's more to it. This is technically, it's a prayer, isn't it? A request that God would do something for the other person, that he would bless them, that he'd be with them. I think it's a subtle way that the author's telling us to, to look for God's hand, to recognise that he is the one who's involving himself, that he's the one who's blessing his people. The things they're asking for, God is already doing. The things they're asking for, God is already doing. He is blessing his people. He's with them. The famine's ended, the harvest is here, and Ruth has got lucky by ending up in the field where she's ended up. It's interesting, God's only mentioned four times in this chapter, and they're all to do with a prayer. The first two are here in uh, this verse. And every time God's mentioned, every time a prayer is prayed, it's asking for something that God is already doing. God is with his people, he's blessing them, Uh, This is more than coincidence, it's providence. We'll come back and think about prayer in a moment. Well, the meeting we knew was coming is about to happen. Uh, Karen and I have just finished watching Anne with an E, Series 3, and spoiler alert, the greeting we, you know, the the final thing we knew was going to happen, well, it may actually happen, but we're looking forward to this final getting together all the way through of Gilbert and Anne. Will it happen or not? Well, I'm not going to give it away, but Ruth and Boaz, it actually happens. We, we could tell it was coming from verse 1. Boaz notices Ruth, verse 5. Whose young woman is that? We may arc up a little bit at quite the language, the way that's put, but you know he notices her. His foreman fills him in. She's Naomi's daughter-in-law. She's asked permission to glean. She's been working hard all day. Boaz is suitably impressed. Maybe by what he's seen, maybe by what he's heard, we don't know. So he goes to Naomi and he blesses her. Verses 8 and 9. Stay here and glean. Don't go anywhere else. I'll make sure you're looked after. He's watching her physical needs. Stick to my fields. Drink from my water jar. He's looking after her safety. I've told the men to leave you alone. He's got her social needs covered. Uh, Hang around with the women here. Make some friends. Well, how lucky could Ruth be? Out of all the fields she could have arrived at, she's found the best one with the kindest owner. And so she says in verse 10, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? We already know the answer to that question. Why? Because God's behind it. Uh, Boaz goes on and says, Well, I know all about you, how you've been widowed, You've stuck by your mother-in-law. You've shown her kindness. And then he blesses her in verse 12. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. And once again, it's a request. Boaz is making a request of God to do something we know God's already doing. God is rewarding Ruth for her faithfulness. He's looking after her, providing for her, uh, And he's doing it from the hand of the person who's praying that prayer. God is providing from the hand of the person who's praying the prayer. Boaz not only prays for God's blessing, he gives that substance, he he gives that prayer hands and feet. He provides the means by which God blesses. Now that's not the only way God works in prayer, but it seems to happen fairly often. Uh, that God will move you to pray for a need 
But at the same time as moving you to pray, he, he moves you to, to do something about that need. You pray for missionaries, that they'll be supported. And then God moves you and, and, and you think, well, I can probably help and, and I can send an email and I can ask how they're going. You pray that a sick person will know God's comfort and then after you think, well, I can phone them up and ask if there's anything I can do to comfort. You pray for school scripture or you pray for the financial needs of church and God will work in you to get you thinking about how you can be an answer to your own prayers. I wonder if you can think of ways that God has worked that way with you and your prayers. Well, it works that way with Boaz. He prays that God would, would reward Ruth for her loyalty and then he helps to do that from verse 14. He offers her lunch. He even serves her. It's a little like the boss cooking lunch for the new work experience kid. And there's even some left over for Ruth to take home. This guy's gentle and kind and generous. And as we hear about Boaz, we can't help comparing him to what's going on all around. Remember the time we're living in. This is the time of the judges, when it was the law of the jungle and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's the law of anarchy that rules in Israel, and yet... Here we've got Boaz. He rewards the kindness of Ruth by being kind. And I think his actions of kindness shine even brighter because of the darkness that's going on around. I wonder where that sort of kindness might have come from in Boaz. We get a hint, I think, in chapter 4. We find out that Boaz's father was a guy called Salmon and that his mother was Rahab. Do you remember Rahab? Uh, back in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua, the leader of Israel, sends spies to the city of Jericho. They go to the house of a Canaanite woman called Rahab. The king's guards come looking for the spies. Rahab hides them. When they're about to escape, she says, I know God's given the city to you. When you conquer it, promise that you'll show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Do you know what that word for kindness is? It's hesed, it's the covenant faithfulness word, the loving kindness word, the word God uses to describe the way he deals with his people. And it's exactly what Naomi had prayed in chapter 1, that God would show Ruth, because Ruth had shown hesed, or kindness, to Naomi. And Joshua and the army do spare Rahab, they show them kindness, the walls of Jericho come down, Rahab saved, and she and her family, maybe even Boaz himself, comes under the wings of God and becomes part of his people. That's Boaz's grandma, a foreign woman, shown kindness by God's people in response to her kindness. So perhaps that background shapes Boaz's character, explains why he's got a soft spot for this foreign woman, uh, Ruth. Whatever the cause, the end result, verse 17, is that Ruth finishes the day with a huge amount of grain from her day's work, uh, buckets of barley from the bundles of Boaz. She goes home, she gives the, the grain to Naomi, excitedly tells her about the wonderful day she's had. And when she lets on that it's Boaz's field, well, Naomi responds, verse 20, with another prayer. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. 
And once again, God's mentioned in the form of a blessing. The Lord bless him. And once again, we notice it's a request for something that God is already doing. He is blessing Boaz. He's wealthy and generous and well-respected and a man of standing. And Naomi adds one final detail. It's really the, the critical detail because it links everything together so far. And she adds, that man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. Now, the kinsman redeemer was another of the Jewish laws to help with social welfare. Every family would have a male uh, close relative, a mature, financially secure, respected man, and his job was to help out family in basically any way he could, to, to pay off debts, to, to stand as, as a witness or a security. And in the case of a relative's widow, he could even marry the widow. He didn't have to be single, he could take on multiple wives. And by marrying the widow, it could serve three purposes. Uh, firstly, the widow could be protected and provided for. Secondly, if a child was produced, uh, provided an heir for the widow. Uh, third, it enabled the family land to stay with the family. In lots of ways, a, a kinsman redeemer marrying a widow, widow, bringing her into the family, was a much richer experience than social security in our day, which is, you know, simply money could provide. So you can almost hear the cogs in Naomi's brain uh, ticking over. Boaz, hmm, he's a close relative and a kinsman redeemer. Now that's interesting. What a coincidence. And as she's thinking about the possibilities, Ruth continues happily, verse 21, he even said, stay with my workers until the harvest finishes. Excellent idea, thinks Naomi. Verse 22, uh, and so verse 23, Naomi stayed close until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. And so the chapter finishes, the story finishes for today. Ruth's kindness has been rewarded. God has shown her kindness and answered Naomi's prayer from chapter 1. Ruth hasn't been aware of God's providence in the events of her life but she's experienced it nonetheless. God's direction hasn't been obvious or miraculous, but there's no doubting that it's there. And as we hear the prayers for God's blessing, we're reminded who the real director is, that it's providence, not coincidence, that brings these events to pass. God's purposes are being worked out. Now that's true for us, isn't it? God's purposes are being worked out but we need to be careful about the conclusions we draw. Yes, good things are happening to Ruth in this chapter. She's been kind and so God is showing kindness to her. But that doesn't mean good things will always happen to us when we're kind. Don't forget chapter 1. Don't forget Ruth's story began with her husband, her father-in-law and her brother-in-law all dying. She's been through famine and a long journey. Things haven't gone well. She hasn't been faithful because God's been good to her. It's more accurate to say she's been faithful despite not seeing God's goodness. And I think that's where we really need to be copying Ruth. It's easy for us to trust God when things are going well. But when things start to fall apart, will we continue to trust him? Good things 
as we define them, will not always happen to good people. God's purposes are not always that things will go well as we understand well. You might say, hang on David, what about Romans 8.28? All things, God works all things for the good of those who love him. What about that? Well, yeah, you're right. But let's go on and read what comes after that as God defines what good means. Romans 8.28 begins, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's the good that God is working in his world, that we become like Jesus and he becomes a brother and that we resemble him as brother to brother. That's God's point of view for what good is. Things will happen to make me like Jesus and that I be presented on that final day glorified in, his, in the likeness of Jesus. So maybe being late for your appointment will produce in you things that will make you like Jesus, patience. Uh, perhaps having more bills than money will cause you to trust Jesus more and to love money less. Maybe your kids getting sick or hurt will teach you something of the love of your Heavenly Father. Perhaps an illness will make you recognise that God's grace is sufficient for you and that it's in your weakness that God's strength can be seen. Maybe failure will teach you humility. Maybe chronic pain will teach you to long for Christ's return in your resurrection body. That's the big picture. The director's view doesn't necessarily involve your good being financial abundance or emotional stability or relational security or automotive reliability. The big picture is not every little thing working out right for you and it doesn't mean that you'll necessarily find out why things happen. The big picture involves seeing everything as part of God's perfect plan all moving towards that final scene where you're presented, clothed with Jesus himself, glorified. That's how all these other scenes fit together. Every scene of your life movie, your own Truman Show, needs to be lived with one eye on that final scene. Your life will be lived differently when you know that someone's in control moving you towards that final scene. That's Providence. Uh, let me finish with question 28 of uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. If we can get the screen working again. Can you tap it maybe to get this? Windows updates. Excellent. Isn't that good? Well, I'm going to read it for you. Question 28. <laughs> question 28 of, of the uh, Catechism. Question 27 was what is providence? This is provident, isn't it? God's at work. Don't trust technology. Question 28 asks, what difference it makes knowing that God is at work through providence? And I want you to listen. And then we're going to think for a minute uh, before we sing. I just want you to spend 60 seconds or so at the end thinking about uh, what difference it makes that God is provident in your life. So here's the question. 
What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? Here's the answer. We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love, for all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. That's good, isn't it? So we'll have a, just a moment of silence, and I think the computer's still asleep, so we, we'll see what happens at the end. So just spend a moment. We may have Stuart coming up and praying instead of the sun.